tuned in to the podcast of Oglesby and Greenberg, Attorneys at Law. This week, Lance Oglesby sits down with Dr. Eric Sills to discuss Esher. Good afternoon, Dr. Sills. Thank you for agreeing to do this podcast. If you don't mind, sure, absolutely. Give us a little bit of background, Dr. Sills, on yourself. Um, I am a reproductive endocrinologist in Carlsbad, California, at the Center for Advanced Genetics, which is an IVF uh, program in Southern California. Um, I completed my uh, subspecialty uh, fellowship at Cornell in 1998 um, and have really been involved with helping patients with eSure since about 2013, specifically patients who want to have the device removed, but who do not want to have a hysterectomy. Dr. Sills, how did you uh, come to get involved in the field of uh, issue removal uh, since your background is more in fertility? Well, it it stemmed from a patient who had three failed IVFs elsewhere and wanted to have a fourth try at in vitro fertilization, but she also happened to have the issue device in place. And that device was present during her three unsuccessful IVF cycles. Before agreeing to uh, take her on as a patient, I said my strong recommendation is to remove this contraceptive coil and then try IVF. And so that's what happened. And I I removed my first eSure device uh, with that patient. I operated with a uh, very experienced uh, GYN oncologist uh, to uh, anticipate any possible complications. Fortunately, there were none. The patient did quite well. The, both devices were removed in about an hour and a half laparoscopically. She did return to me in about uh, four to six weeks, did IVF, had an embryo transfer, got pregnant, had a baby, had a healthy term delivery, uh, and that was a great accomplishment uh, because she felt uh, vindicated that she had made the right decision to remove Eshore because that was the only variable that was different in her three unsuccessful IVFs compared to the one that got her her baby. Um, And that was actually a published uh, case in a uh, peer-reviewed medical journal. And that was the world's first instance where a unsatisfactory reproductive outcome with Eshore was corrected by removing the Eshore device. Dr. Sills, how did you go from that one project to what I understand will be a book that will be getting published and uh, in the fall of this year? I think it was a slow progress. I mean, I'm still very busy with my uh, embryology work and IVF. Um, and as I look back to the patients who I've taken care of with Eshore, there has been a, sort of a sea change. Probably half of the cases that I see now have no interest in doing IVF. Um, in, in the early days, almost all of my Isha removals were patients that were destined to have uh, IVF sequence and an embryo transfer. But looking at the number of papers that have been published worldwide in medical journals, it's a really small number uh, compared to how long this thing has been on the market. When I did my first Isha removal, at that time, there were less than 200 papers in the world medical literature. Uh, and most of them in the context of in vitro, were actually positive that, that they described that this was uh, something that should be left in place, even though it's never been FDA approved to be used in that manner. And I think that was one of the things that led to the journal editors accepting our paper because it was the world's first 
to portray a different view of this device, that maybe the device itself was uh, contributing to unsuccessful IVF. And, you know, journal editors always like to publish that contrarian paper that gives them an alternative perspective on things. And from that point on, I became deeply suspicious of this device because I said, and my first encounter with it was one where uh, boating it off the island got a patient a pregnancy, and she'd had uh, serial failures before that. Dr. Sills, so would you be fair to say you've read essentially every study that uh, you've come that's been published on eShore? Well, I try to keep current in the literature. Uh, I try to uh, add to it when possible, when time permits. Um, but I would say that my familiarity with uh, published works on eSure is above average. I would agree with that. All right, Dr. Sills, would you recommend to any of your patients that they get eSure? No, not at this time. I think it's far too preliminary. Uh, it's, it's a device that on the blackboard looks like it would make sense. It's a very attractive concept, but in clinical practice, um, I, I just think that the lack of long-range long data on a device that's supposed to never come out, a permanent medical uh, device, um, is, is really the, its biggest shortcoming. And I don't believe many patients want to become the study data unless they're compensated, unless they know about it with the proper informed consent, like a normal uh, study would, would be configured. Dr. Sills, we both agree that there are many different ways of avoiding getting pregnant beyond eSure, correct? Right, right. Wouldn't you agree that this is an elective procedure? Absolutely. And as an elective procedure, if you go in and talk to a patient and tell them the real risks involved with eSure, uh, what would probably happen? If you look at the downstream effects of so many patients, thousands of patients, tens of thousands of patients who have had eSure, Many of them had to have other surgeries of major dimensions. Many of them were debilitated by the device. It in, in, and in fact, it amplified their downtime. It didn't minimize it. It made it worse. Uh, these were generally uh, healthy, young women in the prime of their lives who all they wanted was to have control over reproduction. And yet what they got in, in the bargain was they had to sacrifice their freedom because now they feel tethered to a device that they didn't fully understand. So, doctor, wait a minute. What we've got here is we've got, for the short-term benefits, we've got a patient who's being told or who, that she can have this done at the doctor's office, that it would involve no anesthesia, and would be a 10-minute procedure, and she'd be back up, out of the door, taking care of her other children, moving on with her life. Is that what I'm hearing? Right, right. That's exactly right. Yes, sir. Now, if that, if that patient had decided to have a tubal ligation, that's not the case, right? That's a little bit more of an intense surgery? Correct. Okay. So the patient believes short-term this is much easier and much faster and much uh, harder on my body, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, let, let's go long-term. What The British Journal of Medicine put out a study recently comparing tubal ligation to Esure. What did it say? Yes, well, that was a very interesting paper. Uh, Mao and colleagues uh, looked at New York State insurance records for many years, specifically for patients who had the Esure procedure, which insurance paid for, and then they tracked those patients forward to see what else happened to them later. And then they compared uh, that to what happens to patients who just got the standard tubal ligation. And what they found was remarkable. The, the 
likelihood of subsequent surgery in the Eshore cohort was 10 times higher than in the control group of standard tubal ligation patients. So the knock-on effect of Eshore was, was substantially different compared to those patients who elected to have their tubes tied in the traditional way. Dr. Sills, what would you tell a patient today who's suffering right now from the side effects of Eshore? Uh, that it's not all in her head, that there, there are organic causes for those symptoms, ranging all the way from uh, nickel sensitivity to tissue puncture, uh, actual perforation of uh, delicate reproductive tissues uh, as a result of the Eshore procedure itself. And if she doesn't find a sympathetic uh, response from uh, the doctor, I suppose the first question she should ask the doctor is, are you currently offering the Eshore procedure? Because if the answer to that question is yes, then that physician may be disinclined to agree that there is a link between the patient's symptoms and the device, which they are actively promoting in their practice. But if the doctor says, well, I used to, but I'm not doing it anymore, then maybe the doctor that is being engaged at that point uh, will truly be uh, unbiased. But um, I think the most important message is that 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 patient is not alone, that there are many, many women, thousands of women who deeply regret having the Eshore procedure and would give anything to get their life back. Dr. Sills, you used an interesting word or, or phrase of words, which is not in your head. Why are so many women, women across the country, why do they all feel like they are being ignored and they are being misdiagnosed? And why is it so hard for the medical community to catch on to uh, connecting these side effects to the device? Well, I think part of the milieu of factors here in this very complicated uh, scenario that you just described has to do with the, the fact that the doctor who is continuing to offer the Esure procedure, in a way, comes to view the Esure procedure as an extension of their own practice because it's a part of their own practice acknowledging that this device is linked to these symptoms implicates the device itself. And then the follow-up question, of course, is, well, then why, doc, are you still doing that? If you're, if you're worried that there could be an association between Esure and weight gain, skin problems, hair loss, painful sex, vaginal bleeding, metal taste in the mouth, foggy, foggy thinking, impaired cognition, low energy, if you think that there's any association between Esure and things like that, then wouldn't it be a good time to put a pause on your Esure practice and stop offering it until you get more data? And I think, unfortunately, many doctors will just describe it to something else, like you must be imagining that. Let me give you the name of our counselor, and you can talk to that person because you probably have a lot of stress in your life, and that's, that's the reason that you're experiencing these things. And, this was almost verbatim from a patient I saw from, uh, I think she was from Nebraska uh, a few months ago. She said, yeah, doc, the stress I've got is real. It's because of Eshore. I want these things out of me. So she wasn't there to go get a hand-holding session and counseling. She already knew that it was that very device that was, this, that was the trigger for many symptoms, that it was not going to be resolved by sitting on the talking couch at some psychiatrist's office. She came to that doctor because she wanted definitive surgical relief. 
Well, doctor, you bring up a big point, which is that some doctors are still doing the issuer procedure, but a lot of them are no longer doing it. And I've spoken to several right. doctors who used to do the procedure, and then when they realized they were getting the, you know, their patients coming back in and making similar complaints, they stopped using it and they began doing removals. What I have been uh, told, and what I've from these doctors, is that their success of the removals is as high as 90%, which means that the symptoms, the side effects have gone away for the women who have had it removed. Uh, can you uh, explain that for me? Well, I think if the composition of the Esure uh, device is remembered as being 50% nickel, uh, there will be a population of patients that even if they don't have a formal properly tested full-blown nickel allergy it could still be hypersensitive to that metal. Um, and by removing the locus of their inflammatory uh, process, by taking the Esure device out surgically, um, then you've taken away, it's almost like a splinter that's just at the tip of your finger. That Once you get that removed, it's like, uh, oh, it's, even though it was tiny, almost microscopic in size, it, it manifested a tremendous amount of pain and uncomfortableness that when it's removed, it's, it's a tremendous relief for those patients. So I would say 90% relief is probably an underestimate. I've, I've never had a patient in my own personal surgical series uh, come back and say that they were worse off after uh, having the device removed. Uh, of course, the, the level of improvement will, will depend on many factors, but um, I don't think that um, if, if the device is removed intact completely and safely, you're, you're right, the, the, the patients uh, tend to do very, very well afterwards. Doctor, I've seen pictures of before and after. Women have sent them to me. Why would a, a perfectly healthy mother um, become so unhealthy as a result of Esure? Yeah, I, I guess it has, to, it, it has to do with the uh, systemic autoimmune disruption that Esure may manifest in some women. Uh, because many of them are in the prime of their lives, and they're vibrant, and they're, uh, they're young, they're active, they're healthy. Um, in fact, that is part of the backdrop behind why they specifically sought out the Esure procedure, so that they could continue to be vibrant and stay active, because they did not want to have to be under that general anesthesia. These are typically people who avoid hospitals. They don't particularly like doctors. Having a doctor say, here's an express checkout tubal. It's 10 minutes. No anesthesia required has a tremendous draw for those very active, very productive, uh, high-functioning individuals. And yet what happens later, and, and you're right, some of those photographs are very dramatic. It, it almost looks like they're being put into an aging chamber. They, their hair falls out, their skin changes its, con, uh, its, uh, its uh, pliability, uh, and the, many of them have disruptions in, in weight. Um, and one patient... I think she was from Southern California, said it's, it's a very effective method of birth control because sex becomes so uncomfortable you never would want to have it. I mean, that's not, that's not the intent of a contraceptive device. And so many relationships have been fractured. Divorces have happened. Jobs have been lost. The social impact, we really haven't talked much about this, but it goes beyond biology because it really has a catastrophic effect on so many different facets of the person's life. Dr. Sills, you did a study back in 2016 where you followed, uh, I believe, seven different women. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, your, and the results that you had? 
Well, that, uh, believe it or not, seven is the largest series reported on California e-share patients. Uh, and that's a pitifully low number. But again, it kind of highlights the paucity of information that clinicians have access to. Um, those seven patients were individuals who had the e-share procedure, but then something went wrong. They began to notice a variety of uh, physical symptoms that would, were not present before. And some of those patients that uh, came to see me came because even though they had a hysterectomy, there were fragments of this device that were not captured by a standard hysterectomy. And again, this gets to the point I was trying to make earlier. The removal has to be done in a systematic, carefully thought out and proper fashion for patients to achieve the optimal therapeutic benefit. But those patients, one of the ladies uh, went to the bathroom when she was having her period, and a piece of the device was expelled vaginally during her menstrual period. This shows that this device it is not really working in the way that the manufacturer intended for it to work, and it's certainly not up to the standards of our patients. So what happens, doctor? A patient shows up, they make complaints of pelvic pain, low libido, a metal taste possibly in their mouth, hair loss, teeth loss, uh, dyspareunia, and then as a result of those types of uh, complaints, do you connect that up to the Escher, Escher device? Well, I do, but I'm biased because I'm seeing a very selected group of patients who intentionally have gotten on the Internet and they've, in some cases, actually downloaded the papers that you referred to from medical journals uh, and, and read every word, and they know that, uh, that they're not alone and they want to go to somebody that uh, can help them achieve a, a proper surgical removal. Uh, but my first step is to get some imaging because I have to know if there are only two devices, as, as some patients are astonished to learn that there are women that have more than two eSure devices in their bodies, but I can never assume that. So I want to make sure that I know exactly uh, the number and location of, of these devices before any surgical plan is developed. Um, and that, that helps me make sure I have the proper equipment in the room in advance uh, so I can anticipate any possible contingency uh, during the operation. But getting imaging, in my view, is very important. And any, any surgeon who uh, agrees to remove Esure without getting reasonably current uh, HSG images for review is uh, kind of analogous to driving at night with no headlights. I mean, I think it's highly risky. You might get lucky and not hit anybody, but I wouldn't want to risk it. So, doctor, what happens is patient shows up, maybe they complain of fibromyalgia, arthritis, maybe they've been diagnosed with one of these autoimmune disorders. So they then just believe, well, that's just my destiny. I was, I'm now, I have an autoimmune disorder. It's pretty phenomenal to believe that somebody who's walking around right now believing they have an autoimmune disorder with the Esure device can actually have it removed and have those symptoms go away. It is, it, is, it is amazing, and uh, even uh, to the credit of Bayer, they have ad admitted that a small percentage of Esure patients could have an autoimmune problem. The, the difficulty there is that when you look at the overall denominator of patients worldwide that have had the Esure procedure, now probably close to 800,000 individuals, or at least 800,000 kits that have been sold. We can talk, talk about that if you want, but we don't know exactly how many people have Esure uh, nobody knows that, not even the device manufacturer, but it's a big number. So a small percentage of a number that large still means that there's 
many women that are afflicted with these autoimmune issues. And and in and, and all honesty, not being a uh, immunologist myself, I am certainly no expert in um, immune physiology and all the great tests and advancements that have been made in recent uh, years in the field of immunology. But you make a very good point. This is a no-brainer. If you have a person who's got this problem, be sure was the factor that downstream from that their whole life changed. And you don't have to be a board-certified immunologist to say, how about we just take that out and see if you can go back to your life uh, before Eshore. And as, in, in my experience, and I've taken out probably close to 250 of these devices personally, uh, I've never had a patient lament that, that they took that path. They come back and they're happy. They're satisfied with the outcome. Well, doctor, what is the British Journal of Medicine? How significant was that study in the field of Eshore? I think it was a, a watershed moment because that's, first of all, it's a very high-impact journal. They are extremely selective on which papers they accept for publication. So it was regarded by uh, world experts as being an important contribution to women's health uh, research. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I think that um, it certainly promoted my team to look at Eshore in different ways and to build on the research uh, from the, my colleagues at Cornell to uh, sharpen our understanding about what uh, can and cannot be known about the Eshore procedure. Well, it's also, it would be fair to say, somewhat of a game changer because it changes the risk-benefit analysis. Is that correct? Well, it does, and it's also a game changer from the insurance industry's point of view because at the end of the day, they want to know about money. And if they're, pay, if they're having to pay out 10 times more for surgeries at, that are occurring at a much higher rate from issuer patients compared to control patients who have the other option for permanent sterilization, which is the tubal ligation, eventually they're going to say, this is a losing gamble. Why do we want to keep making this product even available for members in our healthcare plan. Why don't we drop that? Uh, I, I, I foresee a time when that could very easily occur if for no other reason, uh, for uh, economic uh, pressures pushing on uh, insurance companies because they want those patients to continue to be the same low consumers of healthcare services like they were before Eshore. But something changes after Eshore. Now these patients are in doctor's offices all the time, getting all kinds of expensive imaging studies and blood tests, it was never the case for these people before. And most of these patients uh, loathe going to the doctor. But now, because of Eshore, they have no choice. They feel like they've been trapped with this device that won't let go of the quality of life that they used to have. So it'd be fair to say that the long-term benefits of Eshore are being outweighed by the long-term the physical um, side effects that can, can occur. Well, the, the expediency of the 10-minute tubal is greatly eclipsed by the long-term health consequences of it, exactly. And unfortunately, uh, if a person digs a little deeper into the history of how this device ever got let loose on the American medical public, and you see that at the time of its FDA approval in 2002, there were very few patients that were followed for more than a year or 18 months. So for a device that's supposed to stay in the human body forever, you'd think it would be a good thing to have data that reached out for more than a year and a half. And so none, there, there were, uh, I mean, so that decision was made, in my view, extremely prematurely. Um, and I'm all for options, and I think that it's 
wonderful to have as many safe alternatives for any elective surgical objective or any elective medical objective possible. But I think about it this way. If you had an advancement in male contraception where you had a pill or a tablet that a man could take that would make that person effectively have total control over his reproductive autonomy and his hair fell out and he started tasting funny stuff in his mouth and he started gaining weight and sex became really uncomfortable and uh, he started bleeding from places he wasn't bleeding before in a manner that was different. That device would be yanked off the market before the sun came up. And yet you've got a very disproportionate metric for female symptomatology. It's disregarded. It's negated. It's blamed on being in your head. And this thing goes all the way up to the FDA, gets approved, and nobody seems to think much of it. I just don't know that that would have ever happened had there been a parallel innovation on the male contraceptive equation. Doctor, let me ask you another th issue that I've seen quite a bit. I've talked to women who, when they get sick, when they start to experience these physical side effects, they, they end up in an urgent care or an ER, and they don't necessarily go to a gynecologist. Those doctors, right. of course, are not educated in these side effects as well. Uh, what do you say to those uh, women? Well, I guess my first comment would be that they would probably be better served to stay out of an urgent care setting and see a practitioner that was fluent, sure, and that even knew what it was. Many, I don't, uh, I don't, I'm not critical of uh, frontline urgent care staff. They have a lot of uh, things to keep track of, um, but uh, from from the patient's point of view, I think they need to do a little homework and find out where uh, the, the doctors are that are knowledgeable about sure side effects. And uh, again, I think framing that by the first question, are you currently doctor performing the sure procedure as a part of your practice? If the doctor answers yes to that, then there's a pretty good chance that, um, that that doctor is not going to be receptive to hearing a patient criticize a, a, a medical device that they're actively relying on to and promoting. Hold on a minute, doctor. Walk me through exactly step-by-step step what a woman should do if they are looking to seek counsel from a medical provider concerning issuer. Well, I think the first thing that they should do is remember that they're not alone, that many people are on the same path with them, and uh, it is not all in their head, that it, it actually is a thing. Uh, and the literature on issuer is growing, uh, there are uh, the clouds of suspicion are gathering, um, and in fact, the number of doctors that are actively promoting Esure seems to be in decline. Because at the end of the day, you have to keep patients happy, and uh, with the advent of the social media groups, where there's a lot of sharing of stories, which has allowed people from literally opposite ends of the country to connect with each other and realize that hey, she's got the exact same problem that I've got. I'm, a, this is, I'm not crazy. This is actually legitimate. And so having that kind of a support system is very, very important. Ideally, the physician is at the center of that support system. And uh, sadly, I don't think that that's true for many patients because I have heard many, many cases where uh, doctors are giving the patients the runaround. Uh, they don't want to facilitate a, a, a true and complete remedy for their problems. They'll give them a card for a psychologist to go talk it out because they think it's all in their head. 
you know, this is, uh, this is not right. And, and patients deserve to be taken seriously. So the first thing the patient needs to do after getting support, the first thing a patient do is get support. The uh, second thing a patient should do is seek out a doctor who you believe does not perform Esure insertions. I would agree, because otherwise the whole narrative is likely to be tarnished by that doctor coming to the discussion biased in favor of a big part of their ongoing uh, clinical practice. And should the patient bring with them any type of material that discusses these side effects connected to Esure, or just assume the doctor will know those? Well, that's a tough issue because I don't know that there really is any recognized single source for all of the associated problems that have uh, accumulated with Esure over the years. I think every patient's different, and hopefully the doctors will remember from medical school that that's true for all medical conditions, not just Esure, that they should listen to the patient's problems. If the patient has a theory as to why it could happen, oh, I was perfectly healthy until March of two years ago, and the doctor says, oh, well, what happened in March of two years ago? Well, I had this Esure procedure done, and, hmm, well, maybe there's a relationship here. Let's explore this. I mean, that's, I would hope, the way that scientists are trained to think. Uh, we can't immediately uh, make a causative relationship, but it is very associative, certainly, that there are a lot of things that seem to go uh, haywire in these uh, otherwise perfectly healthy women that can be marked almost in a month, if not week, of when the eSure device was put into their pelvis. Doctor, let's talk about your book for a minute. Did you reach out to Bear, and are they going to be uh, participating? Uh, yes and no. I did reach out to Bayer. I wanted to offer them an opportunity to contribute a chapter or two. Uh, they wrote me back uh, within a couple of weeks and said that it was against their policy to have any employees contribute to such a work. Uh, I wrote back to their reply and I said, I think I understand. Uh, thank you for your response. If you know of anybody who is not a Bayer employee that you could deputize to supply such a chapter, please put them in contact with me. And I heard nothing after that. So, um, I, but I did want the book uh, to portray Esure in as balanced a manner as possible. Uh, I do think that Bayer uh, has its redeeming attributes. I don't think that they're all bad people. Uh, I will take a Bayer aspirin every once in a while. Uh, I have no agenda. I wanted to uh, offer them an opportunity to uh, submit uh, data that they felt to be uh, credible and important for what I believe will be the, the first book uh, dedicated to eSure. Um, luckily, I was able to find, independent of the device manufacturer, I was able to find some experts who uh, provided some, I think, relatively positive uh, information about eSure. Um, and as editor, I need to make sure that I keep any biases of my own in check and not let that uh, interfere with the organization of the book. But uh, the momentum now, I think, is distinctly suspicious about this device. All of the glowing papers that came out in the early 2000s seem to now have been uh, superseded by uh, cautionary tales. And the black box warning required by the FDA, I think, was uh, an important accelerant of that change. Dr. Sills, again, let's get back to the fact that it's an elective procedure. So any risk to a woman, a healthy mother, who decides potentially to get this device is probably going, that mother's probably going to say, you know what, I think I'll pass, knowing now with the black box warning and with the information that we know now. Would that be fair to say? 
I would hope so. I don't know that there is a awareness of the real significance of the black box warning in the medical consuming public. Uh, I mean, it sounds bad when you hear the phrase black box warning, but it really is bad. And that's the, that's the last thing that happens before a product is withdrawn from the market. So yeah, it's, it's high up on the scale in terms of uh, alerting uh, practitioners that there's something special about this drug or device. Hold on, doctor. As 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 a physician, explain that a little bit more in detail. Why would that a device comes into your office and it's got a black box warning on it, and you, um, of course, maybe you weren't told about those same warnings from the sales rep? What 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 are you as a doctor? How do you react to that? Well, my reaction would be to stop using it immediately once I became aware of that, and until I was reassured uh, by the device manufacturers providing me with data that assuaged my concerns about the black box warning itself. Um, so, I mean, that is a, uh, that is a very uh, clarion signal coming from our federal health uh, regulators to uh, put a very strong caution on whatever you're doing. And certainly it would mandate an extensive discussion with the patient. Uh, to clarify that you're on thin ice possibly with this thing because this is a, a very serious warning. Uh, it is an elective procedure at the end of the day. So since it's not uh, a medical urgency, uh, maybe uh, more time should be allowed to pass before uh, we hit the go switch on that particular device and, and use alternative methods of birth control, including tubal ligation, including vasectomy, including whatever other things that can be discussed to make sure the patient knows that there are other options. Dr. Sills, I can't thank you enough for all your time and all that you have been doing for the women who have uh, uh, unfortunately been placed with uh, the side, with East Shore. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to say? No, uh, you, you had some great questions, and I hope that this information will be helpful to the listeners. Thank you, doctor. Have a good afternoon. Thank you, sir. You too. Bye-bye.